The following program is sponsored by the Jelinski Advisory Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Josh Jelinski is the president of Wealth Quarterback, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm located in New Jersey. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm or its representatives by securities regulators, nor is it an indication that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Investment advisory services may only be provided to clients in jurisdictions in which the firm and its representatives are appropriately registered or exempt from registration. You should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this broadcast serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, or any non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this broadcast will be profitable. Equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level or levels be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation or prove successful. Past performance is not indicative of future result. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback LLC. Tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, with a real treat. We've had him on before. If you haven't heard him, you will be blown away. If you've ever wondered how to transmit family wealth, his book is Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family. And of family, James Hughes, retired estate planning lawyer, is joining us right now. So, James, for those who are not familiar with your work, Describe your background. What led you into estate planning? Josh, again, it's very nice to see you and to be with your audience. I have been an attorney now for 55 years. My father was an attorney, and before that, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, and my great-great-grandfather. Some were judges. uh, None were litigators. All of us have been interested in the question of human experience how to help grow societies for human beings to flourish in. Um, And that's been my life work. Uh, It really has been to help individuals and families flourish uh, and be parts of a flourishing society. Uh, So I'll, I'll leave it right there. Well, that sounds so nice. But how do you do that? Well, Josh, I think one begins with an aspiration. I think we both know, and you've been at this a long time, and that... Nothing good ever comes in life unless one human being or two have an aspiration, a dream of some sort. In this case, the families that I've helped that have done really well and flourished often for five or six generations, and I've been involved, my dad and I have known, he's now dead, five generations of three families. And you see how they do it. And they do it because the founding generation as an aspiration about family, a dream of a flourishing family. And that aspiration is so powerful that it inspires him or her. And that inspiration goes on into future generations. Lots of perspiration, by the way, lots of decisions to make, some hard, some easy, some very difficult emotionally. But essentially, that original aspiration to be a flourishing family inspires that family, they perspire, and three or four generations later, they still have and intend to have flourishing human beings in that family. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired and aspired uh, with James Hughes. If you're just joining us on YouTube, we're live taking your questions in the YouTube chat. We're also every Saturday and Sunday at 9 on News Talk Radio 710 WOR. We're also featured in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Hit the subscribe button. So you're getting me all inspired. And so I I have seven kids, so I'm interested, you know, how to transmit this. 
So we'll, e- we'll even use me as a guinea pig uh, a little bit, maybe, or your own situation. But you, sa- uh, you said something that made me think of the old, you know, bootstraps to bootstraps in three generations. Talk about that problem first. Uh, Josh, the cultural proverb, bootstraps, shirt sleeves, kimono, rice paddy, stable boy to stable boy, this three-generation pattern in families reflects the world's universal cultural wisdom. Every society on earth has the proverb. What does it mean? Well, it technically means that some generation creates financial wealth. That second generation changes its clothes, changes where it lives, changes its culture, and the financial uh, fortune plateaus. It's not dynamic anymore. It plateaus. And the third generation consumes that financial wealth. And the fourth generation in the Chinese and Korean idiom goes back in the rice paddy. Worst possible outcome. Wow. That is the classic definition. I'm going to give our listeners and our watchers a deeper way of looking at it that I think is actually extremely important to them. In this universe, in physics, and wonder why we, how we have a state planning conversation talking about physics, but we're going to, and it's easy physics, everybody, don't worry. In physics, we know that in this universe that we live in, it is consumed, it is essentially made up of energy, energy that came from the Big Bang. And then in some really remarkable way, there's matter in it, M-A-T-T-E-R, isn't it? About 5% of the universe is matter. There might be some dark matter, but let's just stay with 100% energy, and of that 100%, 5% is uh, matter. So what happens in the first generation, Josh, is that someone creates with a dream, by the way. They don't start out to make money. They have a dream, an aspiration. And that aspiration inspires them, and they perspire, and they take energy and make it matter. That's what happens all over the world. That's that first generation. So they're taking energy and making it matter. When you get to the second generation, that energy is not generative. It's not dynamic. It slows down. And the matter begins to go like that. It doesn't grow like that. It starts to. And then the third generation, the matter is consumed and the family goes back to energy. So Mother Nature's rules in this world, we know. We know the rules. We know her rules. So the great question she asks us is, after that first aspiration, that first remarkable action that really a human being shouldn't be able to do to take energy and make it matter, create this financial capital, does the family spend its time growing itself and its own capitals, we'll get to that in a minute if you want to, so that it is growing that system to have slightly more energy than it loses naturally. If you can do that, Mother Nature claps and says, you can't overcome my law of entropy, second law of thermodynamics, energy to matter to energy, but you can decide when it happens. Ah, Josh, this is the mystery. Because entropy will win. That's the law of our universe. It will go, we will go back to energy. But every family has, fair, has absolute free will as to when. And that's the great question of growing a flourishing family. Do you care profoundly, aspirationally, spiritually about when? What do you mean by when? Well, there's the three generations we're talking about. Do you want no, to be no, three generations? Okay, so first generation business owner starts with an aspiration. How right. does that, and they have, uh, let's say they have three kids. Right. Uh, I don't know, Manny, Moe, and Jack. <laughs> and how do they bring an aspirational drive to the second generation? I even talked about this one time with Tony Robbins. I said, 
there's one thing you could impart to your listeners or something in all the things, you know, you've learned. What, what is the thing you can't teach talking about kind of generational wealth? And he said, hunger. And mm-hmm. so in all of his consulting of very high powered people, he even had a problem with the second generation building hunger. And he had ideas on how to build it. And, and that was one thing he kind of learned as a parent that he wished he might have instilled more, you know. But I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if you agree with that or if. But that second generation, they're fat and happy. They have no need to have this aspiration to get out, get them out of the, you know, whatever. Bootstrap, rice pad, whatever you, analogy you want to use. So they're kind of fat and happy. They're enjoying life, enjoying family, enjoying all that the first generation's built. They may feel a great responsibility to steward that, but how do you build that aspiration? I have ideas, but I want to hear from the expert. Okay. Well, let me illustrate my answer this way. Um, If you put your hand up this way and you wiggle your thumb, so... For those who are going to be on audio, let me just say my right hand is horizontal, my four fingers are horizontal, my thumb is wiggling, and I'm closing my four fingers. So the only thing that shows is financial capital. What I can promise everyone in the audience, if the second generation's fixation is on the financial capital and not on what I'm going to describe in a minute, the other four fingers, then they will certainly go back into the rice paddy. Okay. Now, suppose you turn your hand upside down. And again, for our audio listeners, now my hand is facing, my palm is now facing the screen rather than before it was reversed. And my thumb is sticking down. What am I illustrating? Well, what does a family actually consist of? And this, Josh, is what the great families understand. They consist of spiritual capital. That's my pinky. Social capital, can they make great decisions together? Second finger, up, up, third finger, middle finger, intellectual capital, are they a learning system? First finger, are they thriving human beings? And now with the thumb pointing down, is the financial capital supporting growing those four capitals? Spiritual, the pinky, social, the ring finger, intellectual, the middle finger, human capital, the first finger. What I can say, Josh, is that families who concentrate on growing their four qualitative capitals, that's their four fingers that are sticking out, dynamically preserve their financial capital to grow, which is the quantitative capital, to grow the qualitative capitals. They have purposed their journey. They have a purpose. When a family has a purpose, which is spiritual capital, it's an overriding purpose that all family members join in, then you can go a very long way. So how do you build that? We're going to talk about that with family wealth author James Hughes. You can get the book wherever books are sold. Uh, Do you have a website, James, that you would like to plug or anything? Um, Yes, I would like people, if they're interested in learning more, to go on www.jehjf.org. J-E-H-J-F stands for the James E. Hughes Jr. Foundation, which is an organization created by others, not by me, with the intention of enabling more families in the world to flourish and those flourishing families in turn to form a flourishing society. So www.jehjf org. Wonderful. And folks, if you want the book Family Wealth, call our office at 888-988-JOSH or get the book. It's a real gem, Family Wealth, keeping it in the family. You can call us at 888-988-JOSH and request your free Family Wealth conversation. 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-5674. I have kids zero, uh, one, age one to 14. Maybe I'm selfish here, but how do I build that uh, drive for my kids? 
Josh, let me say that the core of a long journey for a family lies in its capacity to make joint decisions. Families have to be, as Webster defines us, as two or more people. So you can have a single-person household, but you can't, in the dictionary, have a single-person family. It has to be two or more people. So the core of a family's journey, as opposed to an individual's journey, is the capacity to make multiple joint decisions over a very long period of time. That's the actual process that lies underneath the, and is the practice of the philosophy I'm discussing this morning if a family wants to flourish. How do you build a joint decision-making system in your children? Well, first of all, they have to have affinity for each other, not blood. They have to have affinity, positive connection with each other, not simply blood. Blood's actually only useful if you're in the emergency room and you're hemorrhaging. That was taught to me years ago by a great man. The real question of the bond of a family, bonds of a family, are affinity. The bonds that the parents create when they marry form a union through some other process. That bond of affinity must be the energy that continues. So that the process, not only of your children, but when they marry or they form unions, the person who's choosing to join your family feels that affinity and joins that affinity. What is affinity? Affinity is the positive connecting word in the English language for every art and science, positive connections of two things. Because affinity, positive connection of two things, creates fusion. One plus one makes three, the, law, the great force of our universe for positive, our force of our sun. So if we start with the fact that we must have a joint decision-making system over a long period of time, and that that joint decision-making has to be bound, bound by affinity, that is, people feel a desire to join it, that is the thing which the family must most seek to do. Now, you're going to ask, of course, well, how? If I knew how, I wouldn't be bothering you. I'd just say, okay, we figured it out. Nobody knows how. Because it's a journey of a thousand miles, has so many steps in it to get to the fourth or fifth generation successfully. So how do we increase the bonds of affinity? That's the question that everyone wants to know. My answer to that, which is an ancient, I would say, uh, philosophical position, is that the, that the actions of a family must be this. The family must seek in all interactions with each other to enhance the happiness of each individual member of the family. So it must seek, and I say it again, see, vision, act toward a process with every interaction seeks to enhance the journey of the individual member of the family toward the entire family flourishing. Now, that's a lot of words from me. The listeners are looking for something practical, so I'll just say this. When I lived on Long Island, um, I had boats. And I had, did have a boat that sank. <laughs> so the image I offer to families is this. If you are seeking to enhance the individual journey of happiness of every member toward the family flourishing, I'm repeating it on purpose, what you're actually doing is saying every boat must rise and no boat must sink. So we will put our intention and our actions toward that single principle. Are all the boats rising, which means are the individual journeys of happiness of each member being our goal and intention? So all boats rise and none sink. So how do you do that in, in estate planning today? You talk to most attorneys and they split everything up. So when the patriarch or matriarch dies, you have three kids, Manny, Moe, and Jack. The money's split three ways, a third, a third, a third. That seems very different than what you're kind of advocating, where they all agree on decisions. Not that they're all going to agree, but they're, they're, there's some dynamism where they have a common goal, shared mission, etc. Well, let's look at it this way again. If we take the hand gesture... If what they see, Josh, is split it three ways, get money, and go on your way, then there's no intention in that plan to create a, fam a, a family. 
there's just an inheritance. Uh, I would call it a uh, an act, a transfer. It's not a gift. It happens because you happen to be somebody's child. There's no family energy there, just as you said yourself. There's no energy there. No, that's the end. So the real question so is not So what most people they... do is really counterintuitive to building that family unity then. Yeah, what they're looking to, and so let's be a little more sophisticated. The vast majority of families in the West, not the, the uh, civil law countries of, in Europe and Asia, but in the America, Canada, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, the civil, the common law countries, let's be very clear. If a family lasts for three generations, that minimum period, 90% of the financial capital will be in trust. That's true. And if you just got a couple million dollars, it's going to be in, in trust. So there's a combination of issues. One is the heirs actually don't get the money. The heirs get a structure, which now complicates further their relation, personal relationships, because now they have this legal relationship imposed upon them. I'm writing a book, a new book with two colleagues, in which we're going to ask the question, can the family live in the plan? I've asked over 150 advisors now and different people in all the different professions that serve families. Not one person, Josh, has answered that question. Yes, because the plan has no culture. Those trusts are simply created to avoid creditors, save taxes, and be a monument to the person who took the energy and made it matter. But nobody gives any thought to what it's like for a human being to live in that structure. So, of course, they can't live in the structure because nobody considered them doing so. So this is a more complicated question, my new friend, than just three people get money, because that's not what happens. The planning process creates structures, and those structures have no culture. They have no purpose, except to avoid taxes, avoid creditors, and be a monument to a dead person. Wow, that's a real indictment. This field is a mess. That's why I'm trying, as best I can, to bring to life what I call qualitative estate planning instead of quantitative estate planning. I'm trying to bring to life thoughts from the planner's part of how does my plan assist that affinity group of human beings who want to be together. If they don't, so what? That just goes back to energy. There's nothing wrong. Nobody's hurt. But if they do want to stay together, do the structures support their being together? Mm. Or do they make it more complicated? You feel that? Yeah, that's good. But I've only heard one or two people talk about, no, I'm bringing it to the tactical. You you have yeah. the spiritual, but but that's because I agree with you on that. Without spiritual <laughs> cohesion, joint mission, val shared values, it's all going to crumble. But <laughs> when you go to estate planners and you say, you know what, I want to do a pot trust, you know, where everything's kind of, I, I heard this conversation, I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago about kind of keeping it all in the family, having family retreats and mission statements. And uh, it was very Im impactful to me. And then I talked to a uh, leading estate planning attorney about it. And eh, they kind of poo-pooed it. What are the structures that might allow that family culture to live and breathe? from a tactical well, standpoint. Yeah. Well, Josh, let's start from that tactical standpoint with the advisor who poo-pooed it. So when we say we're a state Top planning... Top estate planning in the ter uh, you know, advisor in the country. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I'm not debating with that person. And I agree, well, by the way, th theoretically. I agree with you, not them. But okay. you, you go, so you good. listen to you, you listen to Family Wealth. Uh, there's another guy, right. Lee Brower. There was another guy... Right. A couple of people like you, but very few. You hear a talk, you're wowed. You say, "Hey, I want this kind of." Uh, I, I've been researching this for 15 years. The hundred-year plan, kind of studying Eastern cultures, and right, right. Uh, you know, you want a family culture to last. So for us, my, my family, we all have a certain character about us. You know, uh, yes, we have a certain way of. Discipline. We have a certain way of conflict. We have a certain way of 
loyalty, you know, different principles that sort of govern my immediate family. And we want to build that, my wife and I, for generations. But it's very difficult because then once you go to create, uh, 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 Mr. Attorney, I want to create this structure. And they go, well, you know, it doesn't really work. Work like that. Uh, very costly and blah, blah, blah. And you shouldn't do it. And that, that's what I'm trying to say. That like, yes. Okay. So let me see if I can offer this to our wonderful watchers and listeners. When you choose an advisor to help you, the advisor needs to be very clear with you whether his or her interest is in taxes and creditors or in the dynamic preservation of your family. That's a question you as a client must ask and ask for an honest answer. If he or she, this quote planner person, is basically interested in taxes and avoiding creditors, fine. Then you may go back to them after you find someone who's actually interested in the dynamic preservation of your family. Work with the person who's interested in the dynamic preservation of your family, the qualitative questions that we are addressing this morning, then go back to the quantitative person and have a structure that creates that. Don't argue with the person, but don't stay in the office until you've all gone and found someone who's actually interested, Josh, in the process that you and your wife and children are developing. Now, let me give you one very practical way that people think about this. I said a little while ago that the core practice process of a family that seeks to reach its fifth generation, go on from there, big aspiration, is making good joint decisions over a long period of time. By the way, that's all governance is. Governance is not boxes and writings. It's making joint decisions. Okay. So here's a very practical thing that a planner seeking to help a family dynamically preserve itself would suggest, okay, if you really want to try this, please find someone, and there are loads of very good people, who will do a learning styles assessment. Now, let's not get into arguments with the academy about this workshop. Just accept for the moment that you can find out how you learn. Everybody from the age of six can find out how he or she learns. Well, if we're a family that's going to grow our human, intellectual, spiritual, and social self, isn't it almost imperative, a requirement, that each of us knows how we learn? Not only so we can learn best in school, but through all those years that we're going to be making decisions together, we'll be getting information from wherever the sources are of our advisors in the way we can best understand it and integrate it. So then when we come to the decision-making process, everybody in the room knows we're prepared. Well, that's as simple as, I, and that's a $5,000 job, by the way, for 20 people. And by the way, I also bring the trustees to that session. The future trustees or the existing trustees, they come too, because they need to know in enhancing the lives of the beneficiaries, which is raising the boat through the trust, how that person learns. Of course they do. How else can they communicate? This is not rocket science. This is using the science of human development in the systems that we have in this wonderful world we're living in so that we're increasing our human capital. Then we increase our intellectual. Then we make better decisions and we have a purpose to get to our fifth generation. If the people want to, that's an intention. But the problem of the planning is the planning, if the planner isn't intellectually and spiritually him or herself, interested in the dynamic preservation issues, then get out of the room. Don't stay in that room, but maybe go back to them. I want to say it again for taxes and creditors and structures. Once you have a culture made that those structures will support. That's really good. So what structures do you like? I know you're more on the spiritual side, but what, <laughs> what, what structures do you find helpful to pass the legacy? All right, so let's take the most common structure in a family of all, some form of partnership. Would you agree that's the most common structure of all, Josh? I guess. Okay. So what's I have a another theory on that with kids, but uh, I'll, I'll, oh, okay. I'll but, get but that I'm, question on you. I'll ask you that question later, but go ahead. Yeah, partnership. Okay. okay. So 
my father taught me, and remember, I'm the his son with his name and we, his uh, wonderful wisdom, and he practiced in private client work for 50 years. He said to me one day that no matter what the structure is, I'm just starting with partnership because it makes this, what I'm going to say, easiest to understand, but it applies to every structure in which there are going to be common interests, more than one person's interest. Partnerships, Josh, that you and your wife and your children understand profoundly are about giving. Joint ventures are about getting. So the most reality of all structures is they're either partnerships about giving or joint ventures about getting. Now, whatever the structure is, if the parties in it do not understand its purpose, its culture, they will not know how to operate it. So if some of the people in it are in it as partners, that is giving, I'll help you, hope you'll help me. And the others are saying, I want your help, but I won't give you any help. And the people in it don't understand the goals and aspirations. It's a mess. That's why most family structures don't work. They work legally, but they don't work morally. They don't work purposefully because it isn't clear what their original purpose was. So if you and your wife decide to create a family bank, I'm not going to get into this in great detail, to enable your children to work with each other when they're a little older than yours, to find out each of their aspirations and make grants or loans that will help those aspirations, whether they're financial or moral or artistic or whatever they may be, then they'll be in a partnership. But the problem is that most of these structures aren't purposed to be partnerships, even though that's what the word the lawyer uses. They're really joint ventures. They're really about each person getting something rather than the partners giving something. And by the way, if our listeners are interested, there's a book that I wrote with uh, Keith Whitaker and Susan Masenzio called The Cycle of the Gift that goes deeply into the question of what's a gift and what's a transfer. Transfers create joint ventures. Everybody knows that, and people that's getting. Gifts create partnerships about giving to each other. And what is the book called again? The Cycle of the Gift. The Cycle of the Gift. And folks, if you call us now at 888-988-JOSH, that's 888-988-5674. We'll give you that book for free. 888-988-JOSH. When you schedule your 45-minute giving family wealth strategy session, 888-988-JOSH. And head over to jehjf.org to learn more about this. My mind's blown. <laughs> so, Folks, if you want the book Family Wealth, call our office at 888-988-JOSH or get the book. It's a real gem, Family Wealth, keeping it in the family. You can call us at 888-988-JOSH and request your free Family Wealth conversation. 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-JOSH, 888 5674. We'll be back after this. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher, or that the stock market is headed for bear territory, or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the financial quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. 
Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. Tune in to The Financial Quarterback, Josh Jelinski of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. So that must have been then why one of the top uh, minds that I know said, hey, you know, they don't really do a lot of that. They do. They just split it up a certain way for the tax and legal because it, it seems very hard to structure family limited partnerships. Do you like pot trust? First, explain what that is. Sometime, sometime I've heard uh, people who sound like you when I get to the bottom line, they like pot trusts. Family limited partnerships, okay. another one, but yeah. Okay. Well, a pot trust is basically a trust in which you have multiple beneficiaries and the trustees have vast discretion on how they how they deal with those beneficiaries. That's what a pot trust is. What I want to say about it, Josh, is what are the first two lines of the document that make it purposed. What's its purpose? Its purpose is to enhance the lives of its beneficiaries. If the trust exists for any other purpose, don't do it. If it exists to enhance the lives of its beneficiaries in this discretionary way, okay, do that. So what are the first two lines that purpose that pot trust? The first line is, this trust is a gift of love. The second line is, this trust exists to enhance the lives of its beneficiaries. And then there's 40 pages of boilerplate. Now, what all of our listeners know is they've never seen a document that looks like that. They could have that document just by asking their lawyer to put those first two sentences in. But they don't because they don't know to ask. Mm. What they do know is they get 40 pages they don't understand. Most of which is a how to protect the beneficiary. No, let me change it how to protect the trustee from the beneficiary's discontent. But if you start the trust with those first two sentences, pot trust, this trust is a gift of love. This trust exists to enhance the lives of its beneficiaries. Now the beneficiaries have a standard of care to hold the trustee to. Our Mr. Trustee, I'm a discretionary beneficiary, one in a pot, and I understand this trust exists to enhance my life. By the way, not support my life. Support is different. Enhance is a much different mm. word and much harder to achieve, by the way. To enhance something is to make it better, right? To support something is just keep it in the energy flat. So if you're really in a relationship between the beneficiary and the trustee around enhancement, ah, oh, now you're adding energy back to where we started. Yeah, I'm, I'm Because that enhancing process is bringing energy into that trust. Yeah, I love it. So you, you could use that, but you're saying, hey, all of these techniques or estate planning strategies need to be governed by the family values discussion. Yes. So. 100% yes. And that is the spiritual capital that is the most important qualitative capital. The that, culture you and your wife are creating reflects your purpose. And that purpose is that your children shall have an enhanced life. Mm. Yeah. So, so fundamentally, I remember one time I was talking and somebody said, I like, I like your show, Josh, but you get too spiritual. <laughs> and, 
And, uh, you know, the guy goes, I'm an, uh, you know, an atheist or an agnostic. And then he comments on YouTube periodically. So, you know, I respect the guy. But I was going to say, well, then you don't get money. You don't even get, you know, he was trying to, I guess, prove that he could be a good person while being an atheist. And then if you look at, okay, what if, if you're an atheist or agnostic, there is still some ethical core. There are still some set of ethical principles. And my point is, where would you get, where did you get those? You probably got them from a mother or grandmother or a father or grandfather who was generally a strong Christian or a Jewish person, you know, and, and you're basically trying to live the values without the maybe religious trappings, but there's still a, an ethical core. Um, very, very interesting. It's funny. I, I, I know a friend who's a pastor, a very devout pastor. His kid's a devout atheist, but you, you listen to both, the pastor and the atheist kid. And they're both dripping with the characteristics of the pride of that yes. family. So every family has a sort of, you know, and, and if you talk to that pastor, you know, uh, he would be horrified if, if, if you said, okay, it's dripping with pride and it, and it, and it could be a good pride or a bad pride, you know, but it, it's very funny. The, the same, uh, opining about atheism is the same opining that the other, the 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 father has, and it, it's interesting how probably the Hugheses have a stamp that's unique to the Hugheses, the Jelinskis mm -hmm. have a stamp that's unique. So I think that's what you're trying to say is, what is the unique stamp of your family that they can all sort of gather around. And Josh, I would add, because I agree with you, um, I'm laughing to myself. Many, many years ago, I found myself in Virginia, in the western part of Virginia, not West Virginia, but the western part of the state of Virginia, in Piney Woods at an ashram called uh, Yogaville. Still there. Yogaville was the creation of an extraordinarily advanced spiritual Hindu, Spanish, and I don't know how we got to talk. We said a tale, a tale, which means atheist. So we were talking about God and family. Mm -hmm. And there was a bond where once we started talking about spiritual matters, children, love, God, his conception of, God, you know, his eyes lit up, you know, like, why are you here? He was like, why are you here? White guy in a, I was in a suit. It was a very strange suit. Like it was probably the worst outfit <laughs> I looked a little bit like Don Johnson from Miami Vice. Yeah, yeah. I had oh, I don't know why. I had a purple shirt and a <laughs> a tan suit, so I kind of, and sandals. So I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't know why. I think I was coming from a, a meeting. It was in the summer in New York and I heard it was hot, but then I heard also about the cold air conditioning. My friend said, You gotta bring a suit. I'm like, and it it kept because I basically slept with yeah. the suit <laughs> so my breath would keep me warm in the plane. So I'm very glad I brought the suit. And there was a bond, even yes. among the atheist and the Christian. But it wasn't it's – an, it's interesting. And I would argue that if they don't have that spiritual foundation, the, the, uh, the family will crumble in some form, yes. some common bond – Josh, that's why the pinky's on top. This is the reality, isn't it? If you don't have a purpose, then the rest of the fingers are meaningless. I'm putting, again, for our audio audience, I'm putting my hand up again. My four fingers are, it's my palm is facing you. My thumb is down, spiritual capital. But what I'm, exp I'm ex gesturing and asking you profoundly to understand is if the spiritual capital, which is the pinky up on top, which I'm bending, that is your spiritual capital. That's your purpose. That's your culture. If you're not focused on growing that, then the joint decision-making system has nothing purposefully to act on. It's just making decisions. It's like Alice in the Wonderland, 
who was wandering and the Cheshire cat asked, where are you going? And she said, I don't know. And he said, you're certain to get there. Hmm. Well, the problem of making decisions with no purpose, which is your pinky, is you don't get where you want to go. And you certainly are not going to grow your intellectual capital or your human capital because you don't have a purpose. As soon as you have a purpose, which I would suggest is enhancing the process, enhancing the individual journey of happiness of each family member, as soon as you assume that position, you are growing a culture of enhancement and love. And that culture then is a culture in which decisions are being made that are purposeful. Are we enhancing each other's journey of happiness? So the, all the boats rise. So our family has a flourishing fourth and fifth generation. Are we committed to that? Are we doing that? Is our human and intellectual cap, are they growing? So we're more capable of making decisions. So we're more capable of supporting our spiritual journey, which is to have a flourishing family that is in turn a flourishing part of society. This is the reality of how one goes on a journey to dynamically preserve one's family. Wow. Folks, if you want the book Family Wealth, call our office at 888-988-JOSH or get the book. It's a real gem, Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family. You can call us at 888-988-JOSH and request your free Family Wealth conversation. So do you get into taxes and all that stuff with clients? Or are you more all into the foundational issues because you think the estate planning industry is so awful? Well, no, I don't think it's awful. But I would no, say No, I do this. think it's awful. Here's why. No, no. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I agree. I have so many clients that are middle-class millionaires. Yes. yes. They, they have two million bucks. And it took them enormous strain to get to that two million bucks. And then they, they work up the strength and courage when they're 70 to go to an estate planning attorney. And they pay between 1500 bucks and 10000 usually. And it's the same basic boilerplated thing. I could, you know, revocable living trust, uh, will, living will, power of attorney, healthcare directives. And right. then um, everything gets split three ways to Manny Mojack. There is right. no thought to care that this woman and her husband or this husband and his wife put so much care into building that so many days that they went without that literally within a year, these people come into my office, their children, not Johnny and Johnny will piss it away in a year, even though he was responsible, went to Harvard and that would never have been on the patriarch or matriarch's mind. And I think there is a, a categorical flaw, particularly in that, whatever you call it, mass affluent millionaire next door yes. model where they just yes. go, it's an order taken, and then the money's distributed, and there's so no Josh, love there. Let's, okay, so let's say this. You're absolutely right. That is how the mass affluent are treated. We We can agree. So let me offer to the wonderful people watching and the wonderful people listening. Back to this question of the book I mentioned about the cycle of the gift, asking a very profound question that, by the way, all religious traditions have had philosophers talk about the difference between a gift and a transfer. That is a profoundly important question. Gifts come from the heart with no strings. Transfers come from the head, always with mutual obligations and duty. Okay, so let's take the mass affluent, and they have children or grandchildren that they love, and they're going to eventually pass on this incredibly difficult journey they've been on to create this financial capital. The great traditions teaching us about the difference between a gift and a transfer have all in one way or another advised family member, the, the pers per person, person who wishes to make a gift, to write a document that expresses love, generative feelings, and desires. There are different ways of describing this kind of a will. 
It's not your will at last will and testament that's going to be probated in court. It's your equitable will, if you will. It is your moral statement of your goals and aspirations for the human beings who will receive that energy you made into matter, coming back to where we started, that incredibly arduous process that you described. Because getting energy to matter is really, really hard. I have enormous respect for people who have done that. So the estate planning process, as we're discussing it, needs one more document called a letter of wishes, called an equitable will, call it your uh, final desires. I don't care what word you use, what words you use, mm. but you can say to the lawyer, yeah, you prepare all those documents. I need them. Yeah, I need a power of attorney because if I get old and I can't look after my affairs, help me. I need a revocable trust. That's even better. Uh, I need a healthcare proxy. I, I need a will. I need to deal with my property thoughtfully. And you, Mr. State Planner or Mrs. State Planner, you prepare those documents. Boilerplate right off your word processor. I'll pay for that. Hmm. But I'm going to write my own letter of aspiration. Let's call it that. Ad spiratu, the Latin. To spirit, ad spirit, aspiration. To inspire, again Latin, in spiratu, to inspire the people who receive that which I've created to receive it as a gift. And gift means love and no obligation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write that letter because I want that letter to be with my documents. There's nothing, Josh, in the world that keeps people from doing that, except that mm -hmm. the lawyer doesn't ask them, would you like to do that? Wow, this has been... That a really fun journey. We're going to have you back on very soon because I'm just, uh, I'm blown away. James Hughes, want to thank you all for joining us. Go to jehjf.org. Call us, folks, 888-988-JOSH for that free gift. When you schedule your own family wealth strategy session, give us a call now, 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-5674. You can also go to jameseehughes.com for his musings as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Hughes. It was an incredible pleasure. The preceding program was sponsored by the Jelensky Advisory Group. Any awards, rankings, or recognition by unaffiliated third parties or publications, including five-star wealth manager, advisory of the year finalist by senior market advisor, and top of the million-dollar roundtable, are in no way indicative of the advisor's future performance or any individual client's investment success. No award, ranking, or recognition should be construed as a current or past endorsement of Josh Jelinski or Wealth Quarterback, LLC. Information regarding specific awards, rankings, or recognitions is available on the Wealth quarterback website at jelinski.org. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Investment strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. This broadcast should not be construed by any client or prospective client as a solicitation to effect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice. Due to various factors, including changing market conditions, the information discussed in this broadcast may no longer be reflective of current positions or recommendations. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Josh Jelinski and Wealth Quarterback do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. The tax and estate planning information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback, LLC.